Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What it do, Dolphins, and welcome into the Friday, November the 1st edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's Jets week. Does anybody care? I'll preview the game on Sunday and tell you why the correct outcome could benefit Miami in two huge ways. Plus, your questions on the Twitter mailbag, the weekend viewing guide, college football Friday, and an update on the man in the cape. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Top 200 there, top 100 on Spotify. Wherever you get your podcast from, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review the show. Find me on Twitter, at WingfieldNFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, by Dolphins Twitter. Find the show at LockedOnFins. We'll follow you back. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the written version of the game preview up there right now. And we have an absolutely absurd list of injuries to get to. Let's do that right now. And we check in on the Jets, who have 25 of their 53-man roster on the injury report for Sunday's game. And although about eight or nine of those guys were full participants in practice all week long, we had several DNPs, including Josh Bellamy, Trenton Cannon, Blake Cashman, Neville Hewitt, Tremaine Johnson, Ryan Khalil, Rontez Miles and C.J. Mosley definitely will not play in this game. Jamal Adams, Henry Anderson, Kelvin Beecham, Braxton Berrios, Chris Herndon, Steve McClendon, Demarius Thomas, and Brian Winters were all limited in Thursday's practice. As for the Dolphins, they are much more healthy coming into this game. Only Ken Webster did not practice on Thursday. Everybody else was either limited or full, and that's Walt Aikens, Chris Lamonts, Bobby McCain, Albert Wilson, Rashad Jones, and Avery Moss were among those limited in practice on Thursday. Let's go ahead and jump into the game preview. That's another Miami Dolphins. And I appreciate you Dolphins staying with me this week during a weird short week. But we finally made it here to Friday and the preview edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. And let's go ahead and just start right there. We did the injuries in the open, and my goodness, is this Jets team completely banged up about half their guys on the injury report for Sunday's game. The complete list is, well, it's either in the open of the podcast or up on LockedOnDolphins.com if you guys want to go check that out. And that's where we go right now for the preview piece. And I thought it was important to write a mini monologue of sorts about the Jets and my hatred for that franchise. And that's where we start at the top of this article, where, quite frankly, I couldn't even spell the Jets' name correctly because I have to put Steege or Jess in there because that's just what I do. And the longer I get into this journalism field or the older I get, perhaps more maturity, maybe it's the Dolphins' own futility, the older I get, the less my hate is for other teams across the league. Like, for instance, we all hate the Patriots, right? I've that hatred's grown more into admiration over the years, I suppose. And the Seattle Seahawks, my hometown team out here, I used to absolutely despise them, but now I couldn't care less about what they're doing on Sundays other than watching Russell Wilson do his thing. I think it goes back mostly to the days of Rex Ryan, all those empty promises and trying to act like they were the Patriots without anywhere near the pedigree of the Patriots. We've been through everything in this rivalry, AFC championship games, the fake spike, the Monday night meltdown. It's been 106 meetings between these two teams and only three games separate them all time. It's 54 to 51 with a tie in there in favor of the Jets. Yet, 
Sunday in Miami, this rivalry takes on a whole new meaning as both teams maybe prefer to lose this game. The Jets want Adam Gaze gone. The Dolphins want the first pick in the draft next year. And that's where these two things, I think, add up to a very important matchup on Sunday because if Miami loses, one, it puts them closer to that first pick in the draft. As if you ask me, the next four games against the Colts, Bills, Browns, and Eagles are going to be double-digit underdogs for Miami. So they likely run into an 0-12 situation if they lose this game. And number two, the Jets have a very easy schedule coming up with games against Washington, Cincinnati, us twice, the Giants. They could reel off a few wins and keep Adam Gaze in Jersey for another year. But in order to do that, Adam Gase will have to change some things about his offense. And that's where we transition to now the scheme of this Jets offense. You guys know what it is. They replace the running game with bubble screens. They basically go short of the sticks every third down. He'll go away from his best players on offense, whether it's Le'Veon Bell or Robbie Anderson down the field. He's going to find a way to get himself into the most predictable situations and then run right into those tendencies and avoid any analytics possible. You'll recall last year, Miami's run game got better. And that was because because they hired Eric Studsville and of course signed Frank Gore. But really what it was, was the variety in the running game with multiple different looks in that running game that got them more creativity and more yardage on the ground. But now with Le'Veon Bell and no Eric Studsville, Adam Gaze basically runs only outside zone with split zone complemented off of that. They will go in short yardage gap scheme to convert those short yardage plays, but mostly it's outside zone. They're going to go three by one alignment and try to throw the ball to the isolation backside wide tight end or go to the play side of the formation and have a three-man route combination which is designed to create one opening for a receiver and not really have progression reads that way. Last year, it was all about 11 personnel for Gays about 86% of the time. Now in New York, he's down to 68% 11 personnel and his second most frequent package is 12 personnel which he runs 12% of the time. On the defensive side, Greg Williams likes to blitz, blitz, blitz and blitz some more. They'll run traditional 3-4 base sets. He very rarely takes his linebackers off the field even when the offense goes five wide or goes an OO personnel. He'll keep two linebackers out there and refuse to get into dime defense. He blitzes at a clip of 41.6%. That's third most in the NFL. And they'll use pressure off the edge to create one-on-ones inside for Quinn and Williams. And I think probably their best edge rusher, which says a lot about this team, might be Jordan Jenkins. They will bring Jamal Williams down and use him as a pass rusher and in the run game as well. And that provides us a pivot into the players on defense talking about Jamal Adams, who basically comes down and tries to wreck the game any way possible in the box. Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to have to ID him every single snap. He'll be in there and run fits. He'll blitz the quarterback. He'll stay in passing lanes and disrupt down around the line of scrimmage. His counterpart, Marcus May, plays off the ball, and he's having a very good season this year. 47.9 passer rating against him when teams try him in coverage, although he will miss some tackles. On the offensive side, it's all about Sam Darnold. We talked about this earlier in the week. He has 31 turnover opportunities through 17 games as a pro, 23 picks, 8 fumbles. They didn't all get recovered, but it's still a chance for the defense to take the ball away, and that's how Miami's going to win this game, is going after the turnovers and getting the takeaways they need from Sam Darnold. The offensive line for this Jets team is a complete mess, very much Adam Gase finger prints all over it. Kelechi Assembly was cut after the team wanted him to play through a serious shoulder injury and then Ryan Khalil and Alex Lewis were both on the way out in Carolina and Baltimore and Gay scooped him up. 
They have Chuma Adoga, one of my favorite tackles in the rookie draft class. He has not played that that well. And Brandon Shell's on the other side. He's terrible. But Kelvin Beecham could return and displace Shell in the lineup. We talked about Robbie Anderson. Him going deep is going to be a big part of the game. Taking shots down the field after they loosen up the Dolphins' defense with Jamison Crowder and, of course, running the ball with Le'Veon Bell if Gaze can be forced to run the football over and over again. We still have the lock of the week, the Twitter mailbag, and College Football Friday to get to. But first, before any of that, the folks at Roman, a men's health company, are changing the game with Roman Swipes, the secret to longer-lasting sex. Get $10 off your first order of swipes and free two-day shipping at GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNFL. And of course, the weekend is coming up, and that means you guys have another chance to cash in on your football knowledge. We're almost halfway through the NFL season, so now is the time to get off the sidelines and get in the game with my bookie. My bookie is the premier place to bet on all your favorite pro and college football action every weekend. They always have the most up-to-date lines and the most prop bets of any sports book on the planet. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and bet with the best at my bookie. The best part is, if you join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit. That's right. If you put in $1,000, they'll give you $1,000 back. That's double your initial deposit you can use on all your favorite picks. Use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON to double your cash. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. By the time you guys hear this podcast, I will be on an airplane, most likely en route to Miami for the Dolphins and Jets, and we pick it right back up there with the game preview, taking a look at Jets at Dolphins, 1-6 and six versus 0-7, and, and the opportunities here for Miami in this game come against the Jets cornerbacks on the outside. Preston Williams and Devontae Parker have been two of the Dolphins' best performers this season, and they go up against Tremaine Johnson and Daryl Roberts, who have been two of the worst cornerbacks in the National Football League this year. I think Miami could get on top of those guys and pick them apart if they stay in man cover that way accordingly on defense it's all about getting pressure on Darnold and getting the football out of his hand it's going to have to come through a varietal the Dolphins varietal blitz packages they run to make up for the lack of pure pass rushers as far as the concerns I don't see Miami running the ball well in this game Daniel Kilgore against that beefy interior defensive line is not a good matchup if he's healthy and back which I think he is and Jamison Crowder can eat underneath and free up Robbie Anderson down the field on deep shots that's what Adam Gaze wants to do as for the prediction of this game, we have to do the lock of the week first because the two coincide. You better lock it up. You better lock it up. No, you lock it up. Lock it up. Lock it up. Lock it up. And with that, the lock of the week for this game, Dolphins and Jets, is a double-digit loss for your Miami Dolphins. Maybe not what you wanted to hear. Maybe it is. I think the Dolphins are getting this Jets team right now that played the Cowboys, the best version of themselves. And I think they have just enough pieces to capitalize on the areas Miami is short in. And they certainly have the receivers to take advantage of the fact that Xavier Howard's not here anymore. Go back to the Steelers game and recall how the defensive back suddenly gave up everything underneath once Howard went out in that game. I think the same thing happens here and the Jets get the double digit win and that's where the prediction comes in from the preview page as I just don't have any reason to believe right now that Miami's going to change the script they followed for most of the year. Play strong in the beginning, stay close in the game, and then things kind of unfold. And I do believe that Adam Gase brings his best effort, whatever that means, but he always gives his best effort against the game that he perceives to be 
be the biggest of the year. The Patriots games all three years here in Miami, and now this one where he wants to exact his revenge, the grudge, the conditions of the possible rain game. Miami on a short week after an emotional letdown. Points in favor of the road team. I see no reason to expect this game to go differently. I think the Dolphins start off strong, fade away slowly, and the Jets win 26-13 to to push Miami to 0-8 at the midway point of the season. And now let's go ahead and take your questions from the Locked On Dolphins Twitter mailbag. You guys know the drill. I put the call out on Twitter. You respond with a question. I get to as many as I can here on the podcast. And I'm hesitant to start with this one, but we're going to do it anyways from Steve Anderson at Jersey Fin Fan. What does Joe Burrow do better than Tua Tungavailoa? All the talent around them, schedule aside, individually, what is he better at? There's nothing. I mean, the intangibles are what Burrow does best, but that's what Tua's game is based upon are his intangibles. He's better at escaping the pocket. He has a stronger arm. He's more accurate down the field in the intermediate portion and in the short portion of the field. I know Burrow's played great this year, but you'll still find some misses on his throws. Tua's not missing layups. I mean... I heard a great conversation on the Move the Sticks podcast kind of referring baseball or referencing baseball and how they view football players and especially at quarterback. And they're talking about the modern day slugger who wants to get his OPS up there because a strikeout is still an out, just like missing a layup is still a missed layup. And the completion percentage you sacrifice is worth it when the quarterback can make the big play. Well, Tua can make the big play and he won't miss any layups. I don't think anybody else in this class can say that definitively throughout the course of their college careers. So the accuracy, the arm strength, the mobility, the ability to get off the spot and make plays in the pocket, outside the pocket, on script, off script, Tua's better across the board than Joe Burrow. And I actually kind of like Joe Burrow. It's just that Tua is so much better at this stage. Next question here comes in from Jesse Bacatis. He's at Finn Reaper. Congratulations to you and your wife on expecting. That's a segment later in the podcast we're going to get to. Are you going to name him or her after a dolphin? If it's a boy, his name's going to be Cameron. And from where I sit, that means Cameron Wake because I think he's the ideal role model for a kid to look up to. And it's also her maiden name, so that works both ways. If it's a female, she's going to be Caroline after my mother named Carol who passed away a few years ago. So Cameron or Caroline Wingfield coming into the world in May, sometime next May. Next question here from Leighton Stauffer at Stauffer underscore Leighton. In a class full of several options at multiple positions of need, how do you think the Dolphins are going to decipher which players fit what they need best? I think you can point to a few different teams that draft in a different way than the rest of the league. I do think there are some teams that kind of adhere to the general consensus big board and go accordingly, but you have the Seattle Seahawks who do their own thing every single year, and it hasn't always worked for them. You also have the Patriots and Lions who will do their own things to fit their schemes because of Belichick and Matt Patricia, and those are the two teams you kind of have to keep an eye on as far as what Miami will do. They want the bigger-bodied, longer defensive ends, not really as much on athleticism as it is on power and eye discipline. In the secondary, they They want speed. They want ball hawks. They want guys that can cover and man. On the offensive side, we've seen their offensive line additions. They want huge bodies that can be athletes as well. At receiver, they really prioritize route running and smarts. So just going to be based upon what fits their system the best. And that's why they might go off the beaten path. And that's why I continue to tell you guys that don't expect Chase Young be more inclined to go after AJ Epinesa because Chase Young doesn't really defend the run all that well, or at least that's not the the bread and butter of his game. And that's what they want you to do on the defensive line here in Miami and then operate as a pass rusher within the scheme, be a gap-centric type of defense that really does a lot of stunts and games and twists, all that fun stuff. So just be don't be surprised when they don't prioritize Chase Young the way you might want them to. 
Next one here comes in from Chris LaRondo. He's at extortion. Our run defense has been atrocious. Can you point out what you what do you think the issues are? We know the talent level isn't quite there, but I guess I want to know your opinion on the main culprits. Well, I think they're short on bodies first and foremost. So when it comes to the rotation, they'll get good reps when they have like, for instance, Christian Wilkins, John Jenkins, and Devon Godshaw all there in their three-man odd front, but they can't always play those guys until they have to rely on other players to come into the game. And that's when things get dicey. Guys like Charles Harris, for instance, guys like Trent Harris, the other linebacker that we don't talk about much on this podcast. Jerome Baker's undersized and often gets washed out against the run. Raquan McMillan has his moments where he misses tackles, even though he's the best one of the bunch. And Sam Aguavin is a complete liability against the run. So they're just kind of They don't have the right makeup to execute the defense that these coaches want to run this year. And that's really probably just the biggest reason, Chris, is that they just don't have the bodies to execute the scheme that they want to run. And on Monday night, it was mostly Robert Kimdiche who kept getting rolled out of there. He just wasn't ready to play, but it's going to be more beneficial for him to get reps to build upon that and see if he can be part of the future. Next question here from Alex Vergara. He's at Nacho the Eight. How concerned are you about Jakeem Grant? Do you ever see him being a contributor on offense? I think the thing you have to worry about with Jakeem Grant is that he's been known to kind of run the wrong routes or make the wrong site adjustments. There was an interception that Tannehill threw last year in week one, the opener against the Titans, where Grant basically broke the route off when he should not have and should have kept going vertical. I think he does that more than we realize. And in this offense, that will get you nowhere fast. And it kind of makes you wonder if they knew that about him, why would they give him the extension? Then again, there is a one year out after this season to get out of that contract for the team. And right now, I don't know why you would bring him back at an expensive rate because he's not playing well and he hasn't been featured in the offense. It's been way more about Preston and Devante. So right now, my hopes on Jakeem are low. I think at this point, we're going to have to call him just a return specialist. I do think he has talent, but if you can't get the mental side right in this offense, you're never going to play. This next one here comes in from Michael at Atlas1326. How concerning is Xavier Howard's knees going forward? Yeah, that's that's something I don't think we talk about enough because this is now... what, three out of four years, he's had knee issues. You go back to his rookie season, he missed most of camp and then came back and got hurt again in like week number three. And then 2018 last year gets shut down towards the end of the season. And now you have this, but I do think this year's different. I don't know if you guys saw this. Andy Slater on tw- on Twitter tweeted out this image from Xavier Howard's uh, Instagram page where he posted a carved out pumpkin with a big middle finger and then he took it down. The fact that he took it down makes me wonder what his intentions were. Is he upset that he got put on injury reserve? If I was healthy enough to play and the Dolphins did that to me, I would be upset. But anything I talk about with the situation is pure conjecture because I just don't know. But as far as his knee injuries, yeah, man, that's like, that's three years out of four that you've had an issue. That's a concern going forward, especially with how much money you paid him. And it makes me wonder if this stuff kind of comes to a head, will they trade him in the offseason if somebody makes the right offer? Next one here comes in from John Green at Ripple Rat on Twitter. How influential do you think Jim Caldwell was in trading for Josh Rosen? I think it may help explain why things have unfolded for Rosen and the Finns. I don't have any intimate knowledge of this. I do know that Jim Caldwell was very, very highly thought of among this coaching staff and was going to be, you know, Brian Flores' right-hand man. So I do think that there was a learning curve they had to overcome when Jim announced that he was not going to be healthy for the season and would step away. As far as Rosen, it would make sense because you look at like what happens with Chris Reed on the offensive line. As soon as Pat Flaherty is gone, the former Jaguars coach who coached Chris Reed in Jacksonville, 
Reed loses his job to the rookies. And so is that kind of what happened with Jim Caldwell, who maybe pushed hard for Josh Rosen? I can't specifically speak on that. I do know that Adam Gase did not like Josh Rosen at all. And the Dolphins scouting staff did like Josh Rosen. And that's probably why they made the trade after he was gone. But I think it was more of just kind of a shot in the dark. Let's go ahead and throw a decently premium asset, although not crazy high. I mean, Drew Locke got drafted higher than that pick that Rosen was acquired for. So it wasn't some crazy investment, but I think it was worth the cost when you consider the salary that Josh Rosen's been owed and already been paid by the Cardinals. So I don't know if it's Jim Caldwell, but I do know the Dolphins soured on Rosen pretty quickly. And it did happen pretty quickly after Caldwell announced that he would not be back. Okay, I got a few more questions here I want to get to, and then the viewing guide for the weekend and College Football Friday. All of that next here, Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. I remember when I first heard this song at age, like, I don't know, 11, and I just thought that everybody in Miami had yachts and went to the beach and held hands with gorgeous models as they went walking down along the sunset and got drunk all night. I just thought Miami was the best as a kid. Maybe it is. I don't know. I've been there a few times. I avoid Miami when I go. I stay mostly north. But is that what life is like in Miami? Like Will Smith says it is? You tell me. Let's go ahead and jump back into this mailbag real quick here and get to a couple more of these questions. This one from Larry Quick, I think it is. At Quick Larry, if the Dolphins get Isaiah Simmons of Clemson with the Steelers pick, is Sean Wade of Ohio State an option in the second or third as a free safety cornerback option? Yeah, if he comes out, Uh, Sean Wade, that is, I would be all over that guy, an absolutely perfect fit for this defense. And he's kind of the guy that can do some of the stuff the Dolphins are doing right now in terms of playing one safety and having your other safety act as a quasi cornerback. As you see the Patriots do that with Devin McCourty, and that's what they wanted Minka Fitzpatrick to be here in Miami. So I think both those guys will be on the Dolphins radar and definitely would be a great pairing for Miami going forward. Okay, one last one here, and it's non-Dolphins related, but I want to answer it because I love the question and I love the player. And it comes in from Hans on Twitter. I'll butcher your name if I try to pronounce it. So we'll go with at ultimate underscore HHV. What makes Michael Thomas of the Saints as dominating as he is? One, he's one of the best route runners in football, if not the very best. And he wins with physicality and the way he sets up his routes. I showed you the guys those videos of Preston Williams on Joe Hayden and the way he set him up and used prior information to attack Hayden relentlessly on the exact same route. Thomas is that times 10. He knows how to chase the blind spot. He knows how to get guys turned around. He knows when to break off his routes, how to extend his stem right into the to the cornerback to get that blind spot and then attack it relentlessly. He is so physical, so smart, and so good at adjusting in route to give the quarterback separation and a target to throw to. He just wins in every variety of ways, inside, outside release, zone, man coverage, takeoff routes underneath. He is just the best route runner I've seen in football. He and I think Keenan Allen are the best route runners and that's really what it's all about you go back to my move the sticks podcast they say that guys that are coming into the league that are better route runners are having more of an immediate impact than guys that have the physical traits because in today's offenses in the NFL it's about that timing anticipation and those guys can do better in systems right away than guys who are just physical marvels or guys that can just run well 
Okay, it is College Football Friday here on the Friday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I put these tweets out every Thursday, but in case you missed it, the Dolphins fan weekend viewing guide, no Joe Burrow, no Tua Tungavailoa. They'll meet up next weekend in Bama for the big showdown, number one versus number two. I think it's in Bama. But on Saturday, we have Georgia and Florida. Big test for Jake Fromm coming off his worst game of the year. That's at 3.30 on CBS. Justin Herbert takes his Ducks to Southern California to face the Trojans. That's at 8 o'clock on Fox. And then Jordan Love, Utah State versus BYU at 10 o'clock on ESPN2. Sunday, Texans are at the Jags. That's the London early game at 9.30 Eastern. Dolphins are against Jets at 1 o'clock. Steelers versus Colts and Washington at the Bills. All those games are at 1 o'clock. And now let's go ahead and get into the pick segment here. We got six more games. I went two and four last week. The first losing week in a few weeks, but now we are 500 on the season, 28 and 28, just milking you dry by the juice. But let's go ahead and get to the six this week. And since I'll be in the state of Florida for this weekend, let's go ahead and take a Florida school. UCF is giving 21 and a half points to Houston, who is a tire fire without Derek King quarterbacking that team. Give me the Golden Knights and the 21 and a half points. Kansas is giving six to Kansas State. The big win last week for Kansas State against Oklahoma. Give me the Jayhawks, Rockhawk, Jayhawk, plus six points there. Georgia's giving six to Florida in the big rivalry game. Give me the Bulldogs, minus six in that one. Washington, the Huskies, boo, the Huskies. They are getting three from Utah. We're going to go ahead and take the Huskies in that one as the Pac-12 just seems to always cannibalize itself, and they'll do that here with Washington taking down Utah. The big group five game of the year, SMU against Memphis. SMU is getting six points. They are ranked and unbeaten. Give me the fav- the underdogs, rather, and SMU, the ponies, pony up. BYU is getting points against Utah State. I like Jordan Love as much as anybody, but Utah State is a horrible football team this year. Give me BYU plus three and a half. So UCF, Kansas, Georgia, Washington, SMU, and BYU. Those are the picks for the weekend. And we'll go ahead and do this news again, even though we talked about it in the mailbag segment. Mrs. Wingfield is pregnant. We are due in May for our first child. So very exciting times for us here in the Wingfield household. Cameron or Caroline certainly will bless our lives in a short amount of time. And the last thing I want to talk about on this podcast, probably even more important than the pregnancy, is an update on the cape guy. Shows up to class on Thursday, of course, Halloween, and a few of the people were wearing costumes. A lot of the kids were younger. But today I learned that cape guy is 33 years old. And guess what he was wearing? Just go ahead and guess. Talk amongst yourselves. If you guessed Jedi costume, and if you guessed that he was very large and should not be in a Jedi costume, then you're right. Showed up wearing a very cape-like cloak. Is that what it's called? I don't know what Jedis wear, but he had the entire gamut ready to roll. Jedi costume at school, 33 years old. Gotta love it. And I think that's a great spot to end the week of podcast. If you are in South Florida this weekend, probably going to be in Fort Lauderdale at Bow Campers, hanging out with... uh, Kathleen, I think it is. I don't know your last name, Kathleen, if you're listening to this podcast. Probably going to meet up with them at Bow Campers. My brother will be there with me. So come meet up with us and watch some college football and drink some beer. As for this podcast, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins. Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great weekend. We'll be back on Sunday for a game recap live from Hard Rock Stadium on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.